Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to spend a month in Europe studying the history art and culture of 10 different countries. And our trip went through London and France, Germany, the Netherlands, Italy, and a ton of other incredible places. It was a trip of a lifetime. And before I went on the trip, I actually made a list of everything that I hoped to see while I was there. And the list included some of the most famous buildings and places and pieces of art known to man. I wanted to make sure to see Big Ben and Abbey Road in London. I wanted to make sure to visit Anne Frank's house in the Netherlands. I wanted to make sure to actually go inside the Colosseum in Rome. And I wanted to make sure to see Notre Dame, the Eiffel Tower, and the Mona Lisa in France. On the fifth day of the trip, we were in Paris, and our day was actually dedicated to visiting the Louvre and the other famous museums in the city. And I was so pumped about the day because it meant that I would actually get to see the Mona Lisa. This is the most famous painting of all time, right? Like, it's up on the screen. You don't even have to see it on the screen to know what this painting is. You've heard about it. You learned about it growing up. And as we worked our way through the museum to find the painting, we actually walked into a room where hundreds of people were crammed together. It was a room that held the Mona Lisa, and everyone's attention was on her. Well, on their phones, that was also on her, but, you know, this is 2019, so all right. But in the room where the Mona Lisa hangs, there's a wall right in the middle where the painting hangs. It's clearly the center of attention. It sits behind bulletproof glass, and there's actually a red stanchion that's roped off so people stop from getting too close to the painting. And so Ray and I pushed our way through the crowd to get an up-close view, and when we finally got up there, I was so disappointed. It was underwhelming. I mean, I get that it's famous, but why? It wasn't the best painting in the Louvre. It wasn't even the best painting in the room. It's, it's a little bit small. It's, three, it's a little bit under three feet by two feet. And to be honest, it's just kind of boring, underwhelming. And in my opinion, not at all worth the hype. Have you ever had an experience that didn't live up to the hype? Right, someone told you to watch a movie because it's the greatest movie ever, but you found yourself checking out halfway through. Or your friend set you on a blind date with the perfect girl, but when you meet her, there isn't a connection. Or maybe you read and learn about a historical place growing up, and you finally get a chance to visit it, and it isn't at all what you had imagined. I mean, this is, this is adulthood, right? As a kid, you can't stop dreaming about the freedom and fun that you'll have as you get older and you have money. But then when you're 25, staying home on a Friday night because you have to save your money to pay bills, you realize that you were wrong, right? And these experiences didn't live up to the hype. I think this is what happens to a lot of us when it comes to Christians. Someone recently told me a story about a worship leader who was on staff at one of the largest churches in the world. And a little over 10 years ago, this guy actually announced that he was diagnosed with cancer and there was no chance of him surviving without divine intervention. His wife and his parents would take him to the hospital weekly for treatments. He had to carry an oxygen tank tank with him everywhere he went. He would even lead worship with the oxygen tank. He eventually wrote a song called Healer, and it made him $100,000. And the song was all about how God was the only one who could heal him. And whether God did or not, he would still have faith. He impacted a lot of people in a really good way until... 
It came out that he did not have cancer and he made up the whole thing. In fact, he'd been lying about it for years, even to his wife and his parents, so that he could cover up a 16-year addiction. And people were burned by that. I heard a story about a preacher that was a faith healer. And I'm already pretty skeptical of faith healers because every so-called faith healer I've ever come across is more interested in promoting themselves and making money. But this guy was unique. He was from Florida. But he was unique because he said that he could heal anybody of anything. But the way that God told him to heal people was to kick them in the face. This is a true story. You can look it up. There are videos online of him, of people getting on stage and him punching them in the face. There's a video of him kicking a guy in the stomach who has colon cancer. And in multiple interviews, he tells people that that is how God told him to heal people. But then there are rumors of an affair and he left his wife. When his church offered to help him restore him and his family, he declined and he moved on. And people were burned by that. Side note, if I ever become a faith healer, which I have no plans of, but if I ever become a faith healer, I'll become a faith healer by punching people in the face. I've decided, I'm mostly positive, I'm just going to walk down the streets like this, screaming you're healed to people that I hit that get in my way. So watch out. Probably the most well-known situations in the news recently involved a Christian leader who had written books, led conferences, and was pastoring one of the largest churches in America for the past three decades. Last year, news broke that he had sexually assaulted multiple female staff members, which he categorically denied. But then more and more women came forward to share stories of him taking advantage of his celebrity, taking advantage of his authority, forcing women staff members to engage in inappropriate acts, and people were burned by that. Not just people in the church that he led, but people who attended his leadership conferences and pastors all over the world who looked up to him and read his books and listened to his sermons. And so we hear stories in the news, we read about them on Facebook, maybe we've seen videos on YouTube, but a lot of us have been burned by Christians on a more personal level in ways that would never make the news or wouldn't become viral on social media. And we've been hurt when the Christians in our life didn't live up to the hype. Your dad says he is a Christian. He posts Bible verses on Facebook. He goes on overseas mission trips. But when you confront him about how he hurt you, He denies responsibility and never asks you for forgiveness. And what you want to do is you want to ask him, why all the hype? You're just getting to faith in Jesus for the first time and you mess up, right? You sin, you walk out of alignment with what God wants for your life and you decide to share it with some of the Christian people you've just met, but they all walk out and judge you for your mess. And you think, why are you leaving me when I need you the most? So you ask, why all the hype? Maybe you've worked for a Christian organization and they let you go from your job and they didn't do it in the way they should have. They ignored your years of sacrifice. They treat you like dirt. They gossip about you on your way out. And you think, what did I give my life to? Why all the hype? I have a friend whose dad was in ministry for years. And one day his dad was called into a meeting with the board and he was let go. When he asked for a reason, they didn't actually give one. They told him they didn't have to and asked him to pack up his things and leave. Later on, they found out that some of the board members were bothered by the fact that his dad wore polo shirts that were short-sleeved when he preached. And because of that, they believed that he didn't respect the role of lead pastor. So they let him go. See, this week's topic is unique in this series because some of us feel burned by the church like we talked about last week. And some of us feel maybe that we've been burned by God, which we're actually talking about next week. But all of us, in some way or another, have been burned by Christians at some point. It was a parent, 
a friend, a pastor, or even a stranger on the internet who claimed to be a Christian, but when they showed their true colors, they weren't who we thought they would be. They weren't who they claimed to be as followers of Jesus. And the experience didn't live up to the hype. And so we thought, if that's what following Jesus is all about, I don't want it. And all of this boils down to one word, and you've heard it. You've said it. It's the number one complaint against Christians. We're hypocrites. You know, Jesus is actually the first person to use the word hypocrite in the way that we use it today. I just learned this recently, and it's fascinating. Previously, the word hypocrite meant stage actors. In Greek plays, they didn't have enough actors for all the different roles, so the actors they did have would constantly jump on and off stage, grabbing different masks to represent the multitude of characters they were playing. Those people, people were called hypocritas, actors. So when Jesus meets people who say one thing but act another way, people who hide behind a mask, pretend to be something different than who they actually are, he says, do you know what you remind me of? A hypocritas. You're an actor. So what happens is that you want to experience Jesus, right? You get to this moment in your life where you feel like something's missing. You get to this moment in your life where you're like, I think I'm gonna try out church. You get to this moment in your life where someone invites you and you think, this is where I'm gonna end up. And you go and you want the life that he offers. You want the grace that he freely gives. You want to be made new, but then you bump into people who are hypocrites. You bump into people who say they are Christians but live another way and your heart gets hard. And you say, if I have to be around them to get to Jesus, then I'm out on the whole thing. And you refuse to give people another chance. You refuse to give God another chance. And then what happens is one day, many years later, you choose to walk away from your faith and everyone else around you is shocked, but you knew it was a long time coming because of the Christians in your life who are hypocrites. So I wanna to talk to those of you today whose hearts are hard, whose defenses are up, and who are on your way out because you have been burned by Christians. And I'm going to share some good news with you because a lot of us have been burned by hypocrites and we don't like them. But the good news is that Jesus didn't like them either. In fact, I think Jesus is harder on hypocrites than any other group of people. Matthew 15, Jesus says this. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's talking about hypocrites. So Jesus is the toughest on people who claim to love God and follow, him, follow God publicly, but who have actions that don't represent that same love and obedience. Matthew 23, Jesus actually goes off on these people. They're asking him questions and he preaches an impromptu sermon about hypocrites. And this is what he says. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. He continues, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. And see, here's the thing. We often picture Jesus as this nice, cute little man who goes around handing out free hugs and healing people. But when he encounters people who say they follow God, but don't act like they do, he calls them out. He says that they're children of hell. 
And he goes on. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. He says, outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so Jesus complains over and over again about hypocrites. In fact, I learned that the word hypocrite is used 17 times in the New Testament, and every single time it's spoken by Jesus. If there's one group that Jesus doesn't have time for, that Jesus bashes publicly, that Jesus doesn't have the patience for, it's hypocrites. People who honor God with their lips, but their hearts and in turn their actions are far from him. So it's important for us, if we want to follow Jesus, to learn how to not be hypocrites. And one of the best teachings on this in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount. And this is Jesus' most famous sermon. And the whole goal of the Sermon on the Mount was to teach people that we have to follow the heart of the law and not the letter of the law. And so Jesus teaches people that it isn't just about rules, that it isn't about legalism, but it's about living life differently. That if you simply follow the law, you miss what God is truly going to do in your life. And so we have to follow the heart of the law and not the letter of the law. Here's what I mean. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. And that's the letter of the law. That's the Old Testament law. But then Jesus continues by teaching the heart of the law when he says, but I tell you, don't even indulge in anger. So do you follow the letter of the law or the heart of the law? Do you follow the letter of the law in your marriage? The law says, do not commit adultery. But are you pouring into your marriage? Are you setting up regular date nights where you get away from the kids or away from work or just away so you can have real and honest conversations with your spouse? Right, you say, I would never commit adultery, but you're only following the letter of the law and not the heart of the law, which says to honor your spouse. Do you follow the letter of the law in your relationships? The law says to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus teaches that the heart of the law is to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So do you harbor resentment toward the people who have hurt you? Do you wish bad things to happen to friends that became enemies? Or do you pray for them? Do you wish what's best for them? It doesn't mean you have to let them be a part of your life, but you should love them and pray for them. That's the heart of the law. And this isn't easy This is why people prefer the letter of the law. That's why Christians prefer the letter of the law because the heart of the law takes effort. More importantly, the heart of the law takes Jesus. You cannot focus on the heart of the law without the grace that Jesus offers you because you're going to fall short at some point. So to move from being a hypocrite to being a genuine follower of Jesus, you have to follow the heart of the law and not just the letter of the law. We also have to be about mercy Jesus says the law teaches an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so if you broke Jewish law, you got the exact punishment that you deserved based on what you did to someone else. That was what they were supposed to give you. But then Jesus teaches if someone insults you personally, show that person mercy. Have you ever been around Christians who are far more concerned if they can outquote you on the Bible, right? More concerned if they're right than showing you that they care for you? That's because these Christians care more about rules than they do about mercy. I know Christians who can quote scripture that homosexuality is out of alignment with what God teaches. But the thing I want to know is, do you have a friend who is gay? 
Are you showing that person care? Do you actually care for people that aren't like you? And I know Christians who can quote scripture about how the Bible promotes life over abortion, but have you befriended a pregnant teenager who feels like she has nowhere else to turn? Hypocrites care about being right. Jesus cares about mercy. Jesus sums up the Sermon on the Mount with this. This is what he says at the end. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and, teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. See, the point Jesus is making uh, to conclude the Sermon on the Mount is that our bedrock, our foundation, has to be Jesus. Your bedrock cannot be Michael. Your bedrock cannot be collective. Your bedrock cannot be Christian friends. Your bedrock cannot be your family, a famous Christian, your theology, or a particular religious denomination. Your bedrock has to be Jesus. Because Jesus promises that a storm will come that the rain will come in torrents, that floodwaters will rise, that the wind will beat against the house, and both houses will get hit by the storm. It doesn't matter what your faith is in, whether it's in Jesus or Christians or yourself or something else, the storm will come. Your faith in Jesus doesn't exempt you from the storm. But it's when you are in the storm that you find what your faith is in. It's only when you are burned by Christians when you find out what your faith is in. It's not that you like it. It's not that you're happy about it. But you find out, am I on sand or am I on bedrock? Is my faith in Christians or in Jesus? So when I experience hypocrisy in Christians or the church, do I stand firm in my faith or do I collapse? In 2008, Hurricane Ike crushed the Gulf Coast of Texas. And while the, when all the damage was done, an image of a single house still standing began to go viral on the internet. You've probably seen it before. When the owners of the house were contacted and asked to explain why they believed that their house was still standing and none of the houses around them made it, they explained that they put more money and time into making sure their house would withstand the fiercest storms. And the main way they did that was to make sure the foundation of their house was strong. And to do that, they started building their foundation 40 feet underground. With the right foundation, you will survive. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 2, together we are his house and he is the cornerstone. And the, or, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. The thing that the entire house is built on is Jesus and Jesus alone. So make sure your faith is built on Jesus and no one else and nothing else. If you don't want to be burned by Christians, Christians don't build your faith on them. Christians will let you down. Jesus won't. And so I have a question. If I left collective, would your faith stand through that? What if I left collective because I embezzled $2 million? Would your faith stand through that? I mean, collective doesn't have $2 million. If you want to make that possible, that'd be good. But <laughs> if collective ceased to exist tomorrow, would your faith still be around? Part of the reason we get burned by Christians is because we put our faith in Christians over Jesus. But the Bible is clear, the only thing that won't change is Jesus. And so to those of you who've been burned by Christians, is Jesus your foundation? Is your faith in him? Do you trust him? 
Do you follow what he teaches? Or do you put the Christians in your life or the Christians that are on TV or the Christians you see on social media, do you put them above Jesus? At Collective, we invite you to pursue Jesus. This is what we're all about. It really is that simple. But I think a lot of people who get up on stages, and I think this includes me as well, but a lot of people who get up on stages like to say things like, just come to Jesus. Wherever you are, whatever's happened to you, Jesus wants you as you are. But the reality is that's not everything. There really is one condition to coming to Jesus, and it's this, you have to be real. See, Jesus doesn't show leniency to hypocrites. The one condition to following Jesus and coming to him and receiving his grace is that you are honest about who you are about where you are, about the condition you're in. And the hypocrite can't do that because they're more concerned with keeping up with appearances. So the only condition placed on you to be a part of this church is that you're real, not perfect, not holy, not even a Christian, just real. And so if you have doubts, you express them because this isn't a place of perfect faith. If you have assumptions, you get rid of those because we don't know what people are going through or where they are spiritually. If you have sin, you recognize that it is your fault, that you took those steps to move out of alignment with what God's teaching. And because of that, you need saving. You have to be real. And listen, I recognize that by talking about hypocritical Christians, most of you have someone in your mind. But this isn't about them. This is about you. This is about your foundation. This is about your heart and your actions. So you need to ask yourself, am I a hypocrite? Do your lips say one thing and your actions say another? You might be a hypocrite if you ever feel disappointed when no one asked you what you did on Saturday because you were doing community service and you didn't get a chance to share with anyone. You might be a hypocrite if you get upset when someone else gets credit for your idea. You might be a hypocrite if you ever get upset when no one says thank you. You might be a hypocrite if you're so thankful that during our quiet times of communion that you don't have to repent for the big stuff like other people do. You might be a hypocrite if the bad thing that happened to you with those other Christians was all their fault. You might be a hypocrite if you call yourself a Christian, but you don't give, you don't serve, you don't actually act that out and live that out in your life ever. You might be a hypocrite if you say you love Jesus, but don't read your Bible. You might be a hypocrite if you're thankful you're not as bad as the people who don't read their Bible. And you might be a hypocrite if you're glad that someone else is hearing this message. You see, here's why we can't be hypocrites and we have to be real. Real people give grace because they understand how much they need it themselves. People at Collective are hurting. People at Collective are broken. People at Collective are imperfect. So we need grace. I need grace. And we need people who are willing to be real and not put up a facade of perfection and holiness. Let me put it this way. There are 16 seats in each row in the gym. And so I want you to imagine that the row you are in is completely full. And some of you actually have a full row. There's 16 seats. Here's what is statistically true of the people in your row. Two people in your row struggle with clinical depression. At least one woman has had an abortion. Three women have been victims of sexual assault. Two men have been victims as well. At least one, probably two, have used illegal drugs in the past couple of months. Three people in your row would struggle with infertility. One person is an alcoholic. One person will look at pornography today. Six people looked at pornography this week. 
And the reality is Collective is a church that attracts broken people. So the average here is probably higher than most churches in America. So we have broken people here and we cannot waste our time being hypocrites because the mission is too important. So I don't care if you don't have the answers. I don't care if you sinned last night. I don't care about anything else. All I want to know is, are you going to be honest about yourself and your need for Jesus? Because this is a place of grace. This means you know, you know how broken you are. And the only prerequisite to being here is that you're honest about it. You're real about it. Jesus says in Matthew 12, that he will not break a bruised reed. And reeds are really fragile and you can break them easily. And a lot of you in this room feel like you are a bruised reed. You've been bruised by a Christian in authority who took advantage of their position and hurt you. You've been bruised by a family member who fills up Facebook with their Christian messages, but they're not living it out in their relationship with you. And you've been bruised by the Christians you know and Christians from afar because of hypocrisy. But what Jesus teaches in Matthew 12 and what he says is that I'm not going to break you. He says, I'm not gonna put something on you that's so heavy that you will snap under the pressure. He says, I will give you grace. I will give you faith. I will give you my love. And all you have to do is come to me. Jesus says, are you you tired, worn out? burned out on religion. He says, come to me. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep in company with me, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So for those of you who have been burned, let me say on behalf of myself and Christians everywhere, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for every hypocritical Christian and that includes me at times that has turned you away from just how good God is. But may I be so bold to ask you, that heart of yours that is hard, that you've built a shell around because you don't want it to happen again, Jesus wants it. So will you open it up just a little bit to let in his grace? Because Jesus wants to give you life and not just life one day when you go to heaven, he wants to give you the fullest life possible right now, but it's contingent on you coming to him and being real, real about your brokenness, real about your sin, real about your need for a savior to come and rescue you. And maybe one day after that, you'll be able to open up to another Christian and let them in as well. See, the point of this sermon is is not to get you to trust Christians. It's to get you to trust Jesus. So I'm not asking you to jump back in blindly because when your trust has been burned, it takes a while for someone to earn it back. You don't just give it away. And so I'm asking you to let us as a church to earn that back. You don't have to let us in right away, but maybe let Jesus in a little because if you open yourself up and let Jesus in, he will be your cornerstone. He will be your foundation and your faith will stand. All it takes is for you to say yes to it. Let's pray. God, um, so many people in this room have been hurt by Christians, um, by, by people we know, by family, um, strangers on the internet who will say that they love you, but their actions don't reflect that. God, their mercy doesn't reflect that. Their heart doesn't reflect that. 
So God, first, I, I pray for anybody here who feels like they've been burned, they've been hurt. God, and because of that, they're closed off to Christians and the church, but they're really closed off to you. God, I pray today is a day where maybe they open up just a little bit to let you in. God, that they realize that they don't have to open up a little bit to let Christians in. They don't even have to open up a little bit to let the church in. But God, that they open up just a little bit to see how good you are. God, and I pray that when they do that, and if they do that over time, you work on their heart and they see your goodness and they see your grace and they see your love. God, ultimately they see that played out and the Christians that they're around. God, and they realize that the people in their life that are hypocrites that follow Jesus aren't really following Jesus. And God, because of that, hopefully their faith is renewed or restored. God, I pray for those of us who, who say they follow Jesus. God, help us stop being hypocrites. God, we do it every day. God, we'll praise you on Sunday, but as soon as we leave, we don't. God, we'll praise you in the morning. We'll read our Bible. We'll pray to you. We'll, we'll listen to worship music, whatever it is. But then we get in the car and things change. We get around our family and things change. We get in private and things change. So God, help us who are hypocrites move away from that and move closer to you, God. That what we say about our love and our faith in you is played out in how we love and care for people, God, people that we know and people that we don't. God, ultimately, we're thankful that you're hard on hypocrites. God, that you don't let those Christians just slide by. You don't just chalk it up for this is what the church does. But God, you call them out and you tell them to change. So God, help us change. God, thank you whether we feel like we're hypocrites or we feel like we've been burned by them. No matter what, it really is all about you. It's not about anything else but your love for us and your grace for us. God, I pray that that can be our foundation. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.